Welcome to the Ditch the Suits podcast, where we get real about the stuff no one in the financial world wants you to know about. Learn how you can better manage your family's wealth by protecting it from financial exploitation and so-called financial advisors. Here's to your financial awakening. Welcome your host, Steve Campbell and Travis Moss. Well, welcome back to Ditch the Suit. Steve Campbell here with Travis Moss. Partner, hard to believe we are on episode number eight. To all of you that have been following this podcast, thank you so much. We are almost eclipsing 500 downloads. That means the world to us. That means that people are actually listening. When we release an episode, we can track how many people are listening. We're reading all of the reviews that all of you are leaving. They mean the absolute world to us. Whatever podcast platform you're using, please subscribe, follow so you never miss an episode. We'd love if you leave a review. It just helps somebody else that may be thinking, is this worth their time? read your review, and that might be the difference to bringing real lasting change to their life. We've been building this uh, story that you operate a money business, whether you know it or not. We've given you examples of your money business. We've implemented some things that you can start to do, but change can be difficult. So we just want to have a back and forth conversation, Travis and I, just about change in general. So Travis, let's break down this idea of change. Let's just talk about it. We've been talking for the last couple episodes about really altering the way that we look at our lives. Mm-hmm. We're changing the paradigm from looking at our money as um, just kind of like a stat sheet to looking at it like a money business. We talked about tracking um, things that will lead us to success. Yep. All these things require change. You have to change personal habits. You have to change perceptions. You have to maybe do some things you weren't doing, get rid of, you know, stop doing some things that, that, that you were doing. So just, Thinking about change in general, you know, we work with a lot of different clients from a lot of different walks of life. Mm -hmm. And I think people are held back sometimes. So I think it'd be great just to spend a minute or two just talking about why we get stuck and, and not necessarily, you know, do the things that we need to do or change the way that we need to change to, to make our lives better. I I think for all of us as humans, when we don't know what to expect, even if the idea is there that we want better, we want more, we want different, sometimes we're so used to, to what we have that any kind of disruption can be terrifying because we don't know. We have this concept that we'll feel better if we introduce change, whether it's in our money, in our personal fitness, the way we look, something about our job, a career change, or offered a position. You know, in my career, I've been to many speaking events, conferences, had the person on stage. And I'm sure many listeners listening to this podcast have had the same moment where maybe you've listened to Travis and I go back and forth painting the picture about what life could look like, some of the challenges we're facing. And you may sit there in your car as a listener and go, I feel like they're talking to me. Because when you have somebody that is connecting and sharing a message of something you've been thinking about, all of a sudden you really personalize it like you're the only person in the room. But I'm also here to tell you that you're not alone. Change can be terrifying because, again, we don't know what can actually happen. We have an assumption that we know, and that's the reason maybe we're seeking change. But it involves doing things differently. And, you know, in my, my life, sometimes having the structure in place helps me then navigate things a little bit easier, but I know I want more for my life. I want to feel different, look different, think differently. But change overall for us is there's not always a blueprint because there's variables that will happen, right? If you change any one thing about your life, there's a number of outcomes that could take place and what you assume could happen. What if it doesn't? And our mind is 
a powerful machine. Our mind can create scenarios that have never actually taken place that we can assume to be real. And it, it can go deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, what if this happens? And then what if that happens? And what if I don't do this right? And what if this happens to my spouse? Or, you know, these things. When sometimes most of the things that I've thought about, truthfully, when I've thought about changing ever, something, never actually came to be. It was usually far better, especially if the change was coming from the right place, whatever that change mm -hmm. may be. So for me, I mean, some of the biggest risks, whatever you want to call them, things that on paper, maybe people thought I was crazy, uh, things I thought about in my personal life, in my professional life, in my family. Um, not everybody's going to understand that change and what you're trying to do, but you know you know you want more than what you're experiencing, but it's not going to happen if you're not willing to do anything different. But there's not always a blueprint. So I know we've gone back and forth trying to give people things to think about, and maybe they've been listening and they're like, yeah, I want that. Okay, that person's story resonates with me. What would my look? What would my life look like if I had financial freedom? What does that even mean if I got really specific? You know, I understand that there's people, professionals helping me in my money business, trying to help me score. What if they're not the right people? What Travis just said, I know the people I have helping me on my team aren't really on my team. So the things that they're saying, how do I actually start to do any of this stuff? I get what they're saying, but I don't know how to do it. And like, what's the first step? And I think so many of us, you know, if you ever grew up in a lake or in the pool, when it finally starts getting nice out, you know, you want to jump right in. But what many of us do is we tend to go up and dip our toe in the water, right? And we want to see how cold it is versus my kids. I got four kids for anybody that's listening. They're five and a half and yonder. They're crazy, right? It, they, they have no concept of cold. They don't care. They jump right in and they love it. And then here I am sitting on the sideline wishing I had that same whatever they have because I could be in the pool sooner. And I think for many of us, if we could only be on the other side and then step back, I think we would have changed so many things sooner because I know personally in my life when I've made real lasting impactful change, the number one thing I tell myself is, man, I wish I would have done this sooner. Well, change is scary. We're we're all feeling machines, you know. I, I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who we are. We all have feelings, or we're all concerned about what other people think to some degree. Sure. Some more than others. When you're talking about personal finance, when you're talking about taking control, uh, when you're talking about maybe resetting your journey and uh, taking back control, mm -hmm. if you've kind of given it away, or if you've been neglecting it for a while. You know, you hit on a couple of things. We are, we get scared of a lot of stuff. And I think things get to the scary bucket probably far too often than they should. Right. Especially kind of in today's day and age where there's instant judgment on just about everything. And there's 10 reasons why you're going to hate this or five reasons why you're only successful if you do that and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think when you get into talking about change, you've got this, you know, what do other people think? Right. If you retire young, let's say you're 50 and you've hit financial independence, you retire, you leave your profession, you leave your job, you leave your coworkers and your coworkers who are probably jealous because they're not financially free at age 50. Mm -hmm. Are they going to judge you? I'm going to tell you, yeah, some of them will. Right. The ones that really care about you, they're not going to judge you at all. They're going to feel, they're going to be proud for you. Mm -hmm. But the ones that really you shouldn't worry about whether or not they're judging you, they will.
they're going to be like, well, what are you going to do with your time now? Don't you think you're too, they don't care what your, what your life goals are. They just care that they can't do what you're doing. So they will judge. That's a nerve wracking thing for a lot of people. It could be something like you mentioned advisor. Let's say that you, we talked a lot about in pre- previous episodes, the financial team. And let's say that you've got the wrong team and, and maybe you've got to get rid of some people on that team or replace some people on that team or bring some new people onto that team and it might rip, you know, kind of ruffle some feathers. So you're afraid it's scary to do that because you know, you're, you're breaking relationships and what happens if that person gets mad? Mm-hmm. You have to come from a place of per- personal, I don't, I don't know if righteousness is the right word, but confidence in the standpoint that if you're doing things for the, the right reasons, like you said, not because of selfishness or greed, but because, hey, look, this is your life and you're trying to steward it as best as you can, because at the end of the day, it's your life. Right. You know, like you have to be able to to say, look, if somebody gets upset because I'm doing what's best for me and they can't do what's best for me, that's on them. That's not on you. But mm-hmm. it's scary. We get kind of stuck in this idea um, relationships. Anybody who's been in a relationship, I've heard people say, well, you know, it's, a, it's, a, I think that's, a, that this person that I'm with is probably the best that somebody like me can get, or they're afraid to leave somebody because they don't want to be alone, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe they'll never, ever meet anybody ever again. Uh, we hang on to things. People stay in jobs that they hate. They despise. They're literally killing themselves young. They're just burning off years of their life, stressed out with their work. Because they're afraid maybe there's nothing else that they can do. There's no place else they can go. I talk to people all the time. Look, just because you have a certain title in your job doesn't mean you can't do any other job. Right. That's just that job that you're in. If you're in healthcare, let's say you're a nurse. Does that mean that you can't do anything else? You can only do nursing? Mm-hmm. There's some skills there that really, they can go across quite a few different professions. Um, if you're capable, you're hardworking, you're passionate, you want to help people, Listen, that's that that matches with a lot of different jobs, right? Not just whatever you happen to be doing at that moment, but change is scary because change might mean you have to rely on different people. You might have to have you know have confidence that if you're doing things for the right reason, now you can't just you like you don't want to be reckless, right? You don't just like you don't just quit something cold turkey and just say, okay, I'm all done without having a plan of where you're going. But the sure. point is, is if you could focus on where you're going, then change isn't so scary. Well, so and, if I go ahead. And and to go that ahead. point, I mean, what Travis and I are talking about is not what you are saying, just making irrational decisions, but whether it's in your job, whether it's with professionals you've allowed into your money business, if you have raised concerns um, that maybe you don't feel like you're being utilized in the workplace to the talents that you have and you'd like more opportunity and you're never given those opportunities or you're getting uh, mouth service, somebody says, oh, don't worry, we'll take care of you. In months and weeks go by and nothing has changed, maybe you've raised it again, you have every right to start seeking an employer that is going to value what you bring to the table and appreciate you. Same thing with a professional. If you've allowed somebody into your money business that's handling your money, your investments, your taxes, and your gut feeling tells you something isn't being done correctly or you're not being addressed the way you want to or you've raised real concerns about something that we've told you what wealth really means and what does that mean to you and you've brought that up to your professional and said, hey, I'd like to spend more time focusing on XYZ and it's just mouth service and nothing ever changes, 
you have every right to then to start to trust your gut and say, okay, if we have this too, if if the money and the job thing is hard, we do this as sports people, sports fans. Uh, you can be a fanatic of a sports team and have a coach uh, that has gone nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven, and you just have optimism that they're going to turn around at some point. You also, that's what we do as people. We have this optimism that things can turn around, but we also tend to make a lot of excuses when things don't to justify why something didn't work out. And we do this in our own personal life with our health. Man, I know I want to feel better and lose weight and eat better, but I got kids or I have this job or I have weird hours. If we're being really honest with ourselves, though, when I've really made impactful change in my life, I've taken ownership of those things and said, are these really excuses that are detrimental to my well-being? Or am I just saying that because that's the easier path than putting in the time, whether that's, you know, getting up early and eating better and weight training. Those are the things that I know. And that's what I think is hard. We know in our head many times what to do, but actually implementing it is challenging for some reason. But the fruit of it is when you start to implement those changes and you gain momentum, you feel on top of the world. So it's kind of like getting out of this, this rut if you will, of you know you want things to be different, whether it's in your body, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your career. You know what you you're, you want to feel like. You may even know, truthfully, after listening to this podcast, what you need to start to do. But then putting those pieces in place or having difficult conversations is really hard. And I think people struggle with that. Well, I, the easier path is 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 really... The problem. Mm-hmm. There's always an easier path. We can always wait till tomorrow. We can always blame it on something, whatever. Um, we can always have something that's more important to address today. I, I want to get into how we actually motivate ourselves to make change because I think we have something pretty unique to talk about. Before we do that, though, when you're talking about making change, I think part of the reason why change is so scary is because we're constantly running away from something. And when you're talking about making change, stay motivated, get excited about it, to stop worrying about the scary stuff, you have to focus on where you're going. So think about the good that comes out of change. Right. And a great way to think about this is start where you are today. If you were to change something, let's say that you want to get a new job. If you changed your job today, and you went and got a job someplace else doing something different. Can you come back and, and get reasonably close to the same job that you currently have? Or is it the only job in the world like yours? Mm-hmm. Is it truly that unique? Or is it, yeah, you know, with a little bit of work, maybe it'd take me another year or two, but I could probably get back into that role. And if you'd go and get a different job and something that you love and it really works out, what do you gain from that? Mm-hmm. If that changes your life, if that's like change your life type of change, right? then what are you worried about whether or not it takes you two years to get back to where you were? Right. It's a, it's a big reward for a little bet. You haven't lost anything. Let's say that you're making a financial decision and, and you have to make some changes with your financial planning team, right? You don't actually have a financial planner. You have somebody who keeps selling you stuff. You're worried that if I let that person go, if I no longer do business with them, maybe they won't be my friend anymore. Maybe it'd be awkward if I see them at church, maybe, you know, whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe I won't get good advice. Maybe that's the best that there is out there. But what happens if you do find somebody who brings you really high quality advice and really gets you to the next level? Change your life type of money, you know, or change your life type of perspective about money. Would you always go back and rehire your friend? Absolutely. I guarantee you. If you leave a financial advisor, they will always take you back. They're always, especially if you're the only one that's selling product, they're always going to be proud to take you back, right? It's it's like Motel 6. We'll leave the light on for you. Yeah, they'll leave the light on for you. You're not going to burn that bridge. Right. You go try, and if, if that other professional there changes your life, holy cow, how much, like just how much better could things be? So it's where you're going. It's not, it's not what you're leaving behind. It's what you're getting. Family is another big issue, especially in our work with estate planning or business transitions and things where family members tend to be involved with that. And, you know, as, as kids become adults, they, they get adult issues. <laughs> Parents tend to look at their kids as kids indefinitely, but right. the kids become, you know, adults and adults have issues. They've got their own financial issues. They've got their own relationship issues, their own issues with their kids, their own money issues, those types of things. And sometimes you have to do things with your finances to protect your kids from your kids or to protect your finances from your kids. And some of those decisions you have to make for the betterment of actually your kids, not making them because you're afraid of upsetting them. What does that do? If, if you know that you could do things to help them and you don't do it because you're afraid of upsetting them, you haven't actually helped anybody. Right. You've actually hurt them even more. Um, so we get into that a lot with estate planning um, and a lot with uh, financial planning, essentially. You know, look forward to where you're going. Relocation. A lot of people are looking at relocating from different states. We're in New York. A lot of people leave New York because of the taxes. And they're afraid. They're leaving their friends and their communities. But at the other end of it, let's say you're 60 and you're relocating to Florida. You're only 60. Right. You got a lot of time to live your life. And so if you want to have, you know, 10 months of good weather a year instead of three, and if you want to stretch your money out a little further because you're not paying such high taxes, and that allows you to do some more stuff, do some traveling, have a nicer house, take the kids on vacation, go to Disney World, whatever. Holy cow, what are you really leaving behind versus what you're gaining? Friends never leave you. Real friends don't leave you just because you move. In fact, a lot of times people become closer when they're not as close geographically because they cherish the relationship. So anyhow. Well, you can tell me this before you even get there. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think sometimes as people, we make ourselves much bigger in the story than we actually are. Um, If I leave this company, the company will fall apart. It's a huge company, right? If I leave this board of directors, the organization's going to go under. If I do this thing, I'm going to hurt my coworkers. I'm going to hurt my family. They're never going to be the same. If I make this difficult decision that's right for my life, I've done all the calculations. I know what I want to do. I can see the light on the end of the tunnel. But what is so-and-so going to think? And it's going to destroy my family. It's going to destroy my business. Most of the biggest decisions I've made in my life that were risks on paper that turned out to be the greatest thing in my life I almost talked myself out of it by thinking my decision would affect far more people in a more devastating way than it actually did. And I think sometimes we just stop ourselves because it's, 
if I do this thing, it could hurt somebody else. So that's just in my own personal life. I've made some, you know, this concept of ditch the suits, right? I was in a, in a position for several years in an unhealthy work environment that I didn't enjoy. And on paper, it would have been super easy just to stay and just keep faking it till you make it. But it was one of the greatest decisions of my life joining our team because all I was doing was putting out fires every single day. And I never went to school to be a firefighter. Okay, so that was a challenge to me. So when you're putting out fires and you're bringing home work home with you every day and you're just complaining about where you are, I got myself into a much better position that aligned with who I am as a person and I don't regret it for a moment. I wish I would have done it sooner. But I remember you going through that process and the entire time um, we talked almost every night for a month um, about if that was the right decision mm -hmm. and uh, you know where we're, you know, how is it going to work out and what ifs and stuff like that. Yep. And uh, sometimes when you, when you find yourself looking for reasons to say no, instead of reasons to say yes, you got to kind of just check yourself a little bit. Yeah, cool. um, so how do we let ourselves make change? This is the fun part. This is going to tie in some of my creative background. This is my perspective on business in general, but also our things that we can do personally that get us, I think, to the next level. So, we're going to talk about chaos. Chaos. So, Steve, when I say chaos, what do you think? Boy, I would say lack of control. Um, you know, I think this this past year, when you say chaos, I would think about maybe 2020 when COVID set in, working from home, trying to do my job to the best of my ability, serve our clients, take care of our team. And you find yourself working from home. You have a meeting on your calendar. You know you're prepared for it mentally. You're ready to go, and you sit down. And in comes, you know, as we've talked about, I got four kids under five and a half years old that don't know what a closed door means. That run into the room just as Thor in the middle of a meeting with a client, and you feel like you have zero control and you have no idea what to do. Chaos to me is what do I do in this moment because there were some variables put into the story that I didn't account for. So where do I go from here? And you know, with me being a professional, you have two choices. You either reprimand your child on screen in front of a person who's just trying to get to know you, feel you're out if you're the right person to help them on their financial planning journey, or you just roll with the punches and you figure it out. And what I have tended to find in my life is when chaos is introduced into my story and I can learn how to deal with it, it's actually preparing me for, for something else. But I've had to deal with chaos in many ways that's not bad, but it just shows me that sometimes I'm not as in control of moments as I want to be. So chaos is essentially the loss of control. And, yep. Yeah. And that's scary. Mm -hmm. Change is scary because maybe we don't have control. So here I am, I'm saying, take something that's scary, change, and put some chaos in it, which is even more scary. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> it's a grab bag, what you're going to get. Right. The fun part is, is that it's a grab bag and what you're going to get. Because, you know, when your kids walk in on that meeting and we deal with, real people and real families. Right. So I would say any of our clients that are on the other side of that meeting who are watching you and see the great father that you are and the way that you handle that client, that probably is a fairly attractive moment for them to whatever you're trying to articulate to them about who we are and what we represent, because they actually see you in real life doing a real thing. Sure. That chaos introduces essentially humanity. Um, it can create opportunities or situations that otherwise you wouldn't have had. So let me kind of just break it down a little bit. 
I don't know if anybody's ever gone to the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh. He did some crazy art. He did a lot of the screen printing stuff. He did, you know, piles of boxes, that kind of thing. I believe this is probably like almost 20 years ago, but I, I, I remember going and seeing an exhibit that was there, which was basically like, I think it was boxes, but just a bunch of boxes just tossed around a room. So it was a room with a bunch of boxes and they were just in all random places, kind of tipped up that side down or on their side or, you know, on an edge or something like that. And it's art. And so normally people look at that and they go, well, how the heck is that art? So anybody who's really looked gone to a, muse- a modern art museum has probably seen something like that. You see like a, a, a canvas and there's a big splash in the middle of it. You're like, hey, that's art. And you're thinking my four-year-old did that. <laughs> um, but why is it art? Let's start with the boxes. Let's say that you took a handful of pens and you drop the pens on the floor. The way that those pens hit the floor and come to rest is 100% completely unique. You could never drop those pens again and have that same pattern. It's a snowflake. Sure. You've essentially created a snowflake. So if you were to take a bunch of boxes, go into a room and just chuck them all into the room, however they fall, that is a unique happenstance that can never, ever be perfectly repeated to the exact same endpoint. It is so unique. You could, you could, and you couldn't place them. You can't, you just can't get there without, you know, the happy accident, but it's not a happy accident. It's intentional. That person who puts that blob of paint in the middle of the canvas and calls it art. That person is a highly skilled and trained painter mm-hmm. who was trained not to drip everything, every notion to them about what art is that they were trained on was do not drip control that drip in fact it was probably harder for them to drip than it would be for them not to drip right to paint a perfect masterpiece with no drips yep. that one drip can ruin a masterpiece if the artist themselves doesn't know how to control the drip but what happens is if you're so good that you never drip so you decide to drip on purpose you decide to allow pure chaos that's a drip right yep if you stand up take your take a glass of water and dump it you don't know that water's gonna go everywhere right yep you don't know exactly how it's gonna go exactly how it's gonna the pattern but it's gonna make a mess it's chaos Mm -hmm. yep okay so you do that on purpose better yet what if you did that on purpose within a specific confined area you're not just you know what the heck with the rules? I'm going to throw paint against the wall. Like, I just don't care. No. What if there was a small section of the wall, let's say a three by three foot section of the wall. And your goal was to splatter paint across it, but keep it within that section, perfectly within that section. You can't go outside of the bounds mm-hmm. of the boundaries. You're going to put chaos in all the wonderful ways it can happen, but you're going to keep it within that square. The rest yep. of the wall is going to be pristine. Right. You are so good, you can stand back 10 feet and chuck a can of paint and not get it out of that box. How awesome is that? And what you get is going to be completely 100% unique and special, and it can never be duplicated. That's why it's art. Yep. Now let's think about what 
keeps my what keeps most people from change. My entire career has been about kind of fighting the system, the whole ditch the suits idea, seed itself, yep. you know, our company, the people we've attracted. It's it's been about you know fighting against the system that thinks your money belongs to them. Yep. So my entire career has turned into this fight against that idea. You're a disruptor. Right. But what happens with disruptors? We get judged. There's lots of opinions. They're doing it wrong. They're never going to go anywhere. They're not going to be successful. That'll never work. Right. People everywhere have had lots of opinions about whether or not we were ever going to make it and look at us now. But the point there is, is that when you allow change, when you allow chaos, controlled chaos into your life, you're going to see the world differently. You're going to be open to ideas. Otherwise, you'd shut off. They talk about visionaries. When they talk about visionaries, what do they actually talk about? I think Richard Branson, I think this is his quote, but basically it's a visionary sees what is already there that everybody else is ignoring. Yep. So the drip, anybody can do the drip. The problem is that everybody's been ignoring it. Then somebody comes along and throws it on a canvas and makes millions of dollars in art. Mm Mm-hmm. Because nobody else had the courage to challenge the opinions, the status quo. So we want to let some chaos in. We want to let ourselves see things differently, try things differently, even though we know they're going to result in some kickback. And we're going to cherish that. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to step into that role proudly, not with fear, but because we know where we're going. I think it's really easy, too, if you've been to an art museum and you see these arts and it looks like we say to ourselves, anybody can do that. That's not true. We say that about everything, you know, and I think sometimes what that actually represents is maybe a a jealousy that something was done. Um, You know, when you're in an art gallery and you see a pretty clean picture, pretty clean picture, pretty clean picture, and then the what the it makes you stop and turn your head. You know, when you see that piece of art that looks completely different from everything else, you know, a lot of a lot of my life in the disruptive course that I've taken is I spent most of my life trying to fit in by being like everybody else. And what I realized is when I was just true to myself, I stood out like a sore thumb. It actually attracted people to the life that I live because they saw maybe things in my life that uh, maybe they wanted to be a part of or be connected to. And we do that with professionals. When you see people forging a path that maybe is different from everybody else, they're a visionary. It allows you to realize that somebody else has done it. And I think as you're talking about introducing change and chaos, I think it's so scary to so many people because they want to know that it's going to work. Um, they, they get the idea, they get the concept. But when you hear somebody else's story of how they did it, it inspires you then to realize it's capable, right? And so I think, you know, when you're when you're talking about this idea, you and I were going back and forth about... Uh, art as a movement and how there was a group of artists, right, that that formed this new way of doing art known as Dadaism, D-A-D-A. And I, I want you to talk about that because it started off with one person and it grew in influence as other people kind of latched onto this concept. So do you want to explain this concept of Dadaism and what it is in light of change? That's I, that's really the, the movement that we're talking about in general. Mm-hmm. I think it gives you an example of how looking at the world differently can actually change things for generations. So after World War One, there was an art group that started um, 
again, going back to the history of art, art it was historically a very, very structured and regimented kind of, this is what art is supposed to be type of thing. Right. And it's not up until more recent his modern history where art became more of a, an expressionist type of thing. But back in the day, it was landscapes and figures and, you know, controlled by a very small group of people as to what you could and could not create. After World War One, really, I think, turned off by the, the global institutions themselves, the people who said, you know, these are all the rules and then look at all this destruction that happens, you know, at the at the helm of that. Um, there was this art movement that was created that was essentially fighting the system. They basically were saying, we're not going to apologize, but we're going to start looking at the world differently. We're going to take things that you look at and say, geez, that's just a, a telephone. And we're going to rethink what that telephone could be. Mm -hmm. If if I were to be born tomorrow as an adult and able to speak and talk and communicate, you know, and all that kind of hear and communicate and all that kind of stuff, I just, I'm just going to come into existence smart as an adult. And I were to see certain things, you know, look around the room that you're in. What would you think of that? Like they're completely foreign. You're an alien. You're, you're not even from here. You just show up one day and you look around and you go, there's a football. Would you come to the conclusion that that's for, you know, people who play football or would you right. think that that's a pillow? Right. I don't know. You could think of a lot of different things. Yep. Right. So when you look at objects and this is what the art movement was about, how do objects just in space exist and what else could they be? Mm -hmm. And they put things together in a way that, you know, was humoristic, but really quite offensive a lot of times. Yep. And they'd be like, sorry, have, and they would force you into the conversation because you were so disgusted. I can't believe that they would do that. And what they did didn't hurt anybody. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the fun part about art. It doesn't hurt anybody. So what one person does, if you take, you know, uh, back to the football, take the football, cut it in half down the middle, spread it out, nail it to your wall, call it art. Anybody who gets offended by that, what's it matter? It doesn't hurt them. They'll have an opinion. They'll think you're a loony or whatever, but who cares? And that's the point. They don't care about the superficial. Yeah. And they're actually saying, look, stop being so darn regimented in everything. Mm -hmm. um, so that ended up going on to, to just give you an idea of what that fed into. That goes feeds into Salvador Dali, which is the, the, the artist who did like the melting clocks and whatnot. Right. Um, so most people know who Salvador Dali is. And then that went on to abstract expressionism, which is where, you know, Jackson Pollock is. Mm -hmm. Jackson Pollock was the drip artist. So this is kind of where that example with the, the drip comes from. Right. Well, people don't know that he was a traditionally trained artist. Like he, through the Great Depression, was doing landscapes. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden he becomes this, you know, brilliant, super famous it, it, uh, you know, I don't know quite how famous he was in his lifetime, but certainly afterwards, I mean, he's one of the most famous artists today that somebody would reference. And it's because he was so good. He took that drip and he used the drip in a way that people had never seen before, but he was good enough to use it that way. Yeah. So he wasn't, he was, he was doing something that anybody else could do. Anybody else could see. But he, he, and he was controlling it. He was controlling chaos. Chaos is that drip. And he was taking it and saying, this is how I want it to look. 
And so you have his master, his big gigantic drip paintings, which if you were to really spend some time looking at them, they're quite intricate. They're not as, as though somebody just took a can of paint and dumped it. It's a lot more complicated than that. Right. Um, but so anyway, the concept of Dadaism, I think, is super important because it reflects on part of our recent history, really, in the grand scheme of things, where people in general said, stop, you know, I'm, I'm going to purposely do things. And if you want to judge it, that's your issue. Yep. <laughs> I'm not hurting anybody. I'm worrying, you know, I'm just trying to express myself. Right. That's it. And that, to me, I think that that's great because we should not be in so much fear about what everybody else thinks so much so that we don't even take a chance or an opportunity to get to anything. Think about, and a great example of this, how we tie this in because yeah. Okay. Travis is all kind of lofty, but how do we tie that into life? Kodak. What is Kodak today? And what was Kodak years ago before the digital camera? Yeah. Kodak thought digital camera was crazy. Who's going to ever want to do that? Yep. Where's Kodak now? They got their lunch eating blockbuster video. That's gone. Yep. There's a thing called Netflix now. Mm-hmm. Why didn't Blockbuster do that? They thought that was crazy. No one will um, ever do that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- think about it. I mean, there's there's tons of companies. Facebook, you know, Twitter, all these internet places where you can go get news. What happened to the newspaper industry? It got completely destroyed. If you research the history of the newspaper industry, it's because the classified sections got wiped out. Why? Because they could put them online for for pennies on the dollar and reach a huge audience. They didn't believe that that was ever really going to be a thing, so they they never upgraded. Look at Amazon. Amazon was not an over-the-night surprise. It's been going on for decades now. And for some reason, like, nobody else thought that people, geez, why would people just buy some stuff online? People love that store experience. Well, now where's the box stores going? You know, they're all getting just absolutely annihilated. But I think because, that's, your, that's your point, right? When you're talking about being a visionary or a pioneer, you see things that other people can't, even though they're looking at the same set of data. And you're willing to take a chance to do things differently. But we have a copycat relationship as human beings, as businesses, and whatever we do. We see somebody that does something that bucks the trend, and we say that's never going to work. And then it works, and then all we know how to do is copy it, because now they forged a completely new path that is disrupting everything that we can never go back to what we knew. And I will say this just just from your vision and leading us as a company, you know, when you ditched your suit and left where you were and said, you know what, I don't believe that financial planning should just be selling products on commissions, but we should be giving people greater access to actual financial planning by limiting conflicts of interest and helping them really solve what money means to them. People in the industry thought you were crazy. They thought you were never going to make it. They thought they still nobody- think I'm crazy. Oh, I still think you're crazy too. But they said no one would ever pay out of pocket to receive financial planning. And what do you mean you don't charge commissions? No one would ever do that. And it takes a little bit of time to gain momentum. But when you do, you now realize that that's what people want. And now you find so many other companies, whether it's in our business or or whatever, trying to duplicate what somebody else was willing to risk and risk it all. For the sake of creating something different and new because they were to Dadaism. They they were they wanted to express themselves and live their life because it's it's your life and you only get one shot at this thing. There is no reason to be tired of being tired. And sometimes it involves making changes that can have lasting impact. 
But I think this whole idea of art in, in you know introducing chaos, I think it, it'd be helpful to maybe give give some people too some examples of what this can look like in our everyday life. So I'll throw it back to you, partner. What 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 have you seen maybe as some examples or some things that we can start to implement to introduce chaos, if you will? Well, um, just to go back to the early the, the Kodak thing, chaos to Kodak was a digital camera. Mm-hmm. If you or I looked at a digital camera, anybody listening to this looks at a digital camera, we don't look at that and go, that's chaos. Right. Oh, no, get away from there. Right. But when Kodak looked at the digital camera when it first came out, they said, that's chaos. Mm-hmm. We can't do that. That's going to disrupt us too much. When Blockbuster Video looked at streaming, they said, oh, no, we can't do that. That's chaos. Nobody will ever go for that. That's, that. that's You don't look at your Netflix and go, ooh, I can't touch that. It's scary. Same thing, you know, online shopping and Amazon. Yep. You know, JCPenney's, Sears, the stores, Kmart's, they're all gone. Why? Because something as chaotic as buying stuff online and having a, you know, a fairly wide accepting return policy just seems to make a lot of sense. But to them, it was crazy why would you anybody want to do that mm-hmm. in our industry you know there's there's two halves of the industry there's the broker dealer stuff that's commission stuff and then there's the registered investment advisory stuff that's the advisories the, the financial more the the finance the fee stuff right both sides of the industry pretend the other side doesn't exist or they're you know like if you grow up in one side of the industry or the other you barely know about how the other side of the industry works right because it's chaos. They they literally look in the mirror and they say, what's on the other side of that mirror is chaos to me. I'm not even going to allow it to happen, right? They're, mm-hmm. it's, or look through a window, I guess, probably not looking at a mirror. They see themselves, but they they look through the mirror or through the window and they go, boy, you know, uh, commission super chaos, you know, fees super chaos. We're not even going to even step into that realm. And, you know, the answer is, we used to ask a question here, what if mm-hmm. um, Kayla with our Seeds of Hope team, uh, the, the question she does is um, how might we? Mm-hmm. And if you started to say what if and how might we more often, you'd be shocked at the opportunities. So when you look at something and you, and you think that's crazy or I can't have that or I can't go there. Instead of thinking, that's crazy, I can't have that, or I can't go there, or whatever you might lose, you say, what if I did that? Mm -hmm. And then you say, okay, now how might I do that? Yep. That's going to tell you where to to allow some chaos to happen, pretty much surgically. Mm -hmm. Because if it says, hey, in order to get there, you got to have X amount of money. All right. Let's talk about that. What do I got to change in my life to get that amount of money? Yep. Um, that change, back to what we're talking about with change, might be chaotic to you. You might have to change the way that you do things. Mm-hmm. You might have to give up going out with the buddies and, and eating wings and drinking beer every Friday night. Yep. There could be a lot of things that you got to do different. You might not be able to golf four times a week. You might have to cut down to two times a week to get to where you want to go, whatever it is, right? That's chaotic to people. We don't want to do it. We, we got to think of different ways to get things done. 
we've got to make some changes. So to me, and this is what the, we wanted to focus the next episode on, is how do I let myself have some chaos in a controlled way that moves me forward? It starts with the what if and the how might we questions. Anything you want to do. I work with people all the time and, and we're always talking about stuff like retirement homes, relocations, philanthropy, taking care of the kids, you know, complex estate planning type of things, maybe trying to get some more money out of their investments, those types of things. And normally they're very, they, they're almost sheepish sometimes when they bring up the question, I, 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 this would be a dream of mine. I want to have a, a retirement home, pick a place, North Carolina. Okay, so how do we do that? And they look at you and go, well, I don't think I can. They immediately go to, I don't think I can. You say, why? Well, I just didn't think I'd ever be able to do it. Okay, but why? And they can't tell you. So you have to pivot from why to, okay, so how could we do that? Mm -hmm. What if you had it? What would you do? If you wanted to retire tomorrow, Steve, yep. what would you do? If you right. don't know what you're going to do, don't retire. But if you know what you're going to do, if you can see life and what it would be if you didn't have to do what you're doing today, and that is just so much more exciting, exhilarating than what it is today, and you can you know, you know, obviously financially afford to do it, Yep. then you know you're ready to do that. So the question is, how do you do it? Right? But if you said, okay, what if I did this? And you go, geez, I, I really don't know. Then, you, you know, it's that's not the right place. But if you say, this is exactly what I know I would want to come out of that or what I think would come out of that, great. Now, the follow-up question is, how do we do it? Mm -hmm. and, and you just keep doing that. Because in how do we do it, you're going to come up with, but I can't really, you know, I can't really save that much. But what if you did? <laughs> okay. Because you're using them to get over your procrastination techniques or your avoidance techniques or your um, fear of change, natural disposition. It is natural to all of us to push against that which we do not know. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm comfortable with what I have now. Status quo is good enough. We do, how, how many people, if you're listening to this, do you know, I know a lot of people who've had knee replacements or hip replacements. I, the youngest was 30, in, the, in his 30s. The oldest, I think, are like 70s or 80s. So it doesn't matter how old you are. It's a wide range. Right. I know people all the time, though, that they go on. I mean, they're on major painkillers and stuff. They can't barely walk or move for years because they're trying to put off getting that knee replacement or yep. the hip replacement. Because getting the knee replacement or hip replacement makes them feel old. Right. You are literally killing yourself and, and missing some of the best years of your life. Drowned in pain and painkillers so that you don't have to feel old. What if you didn't have to feel like that? What if you actually didn't feel old? What if getting the, the knee replacement actually made you feel younger? Yeah. And it's like, you know, sometimes it just comes back down to, I'm afraid of superficial things. You know, I'm afraid of what other people think. I'm afraid of a stigma. I'm afraid of, you know, admitting that I'm getting older, you know, like, heck, we're all getting older. Get over that. You, why live a life in pain if you don't have to? Chaos, when we bring the chaos in, what we're really talking about is a change agent. 
a motivator. Yep. Uh, an opportunity to look at the world differently. And, and there's, make- some te- there's some techniques that you can use for that. We're not going to get into that today. But yep. the idea is, is I don't care who you are. There are strategies out there that, he, that you, no matter how stubborn you are, could use to start to implement change. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Ditch the Suits podcast. We hope as we introduce the secret to change that has helped inspire you to live your best life. As always, it's your money. It's your life. You have one life to live. We hope that this uh, gives you some ideas. In next episode, we're going to talk about implementing change and some strategies you can start to develop. Don't forget to subscribe, like, leave a comment, leave a review, helps others find us. And until next time, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. Ready to ditch the suits? Remember, it's your money and your life. For more information, visit seedpg.com. That's seedpg.com. If this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. And be sure to share with a friend.